Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. I'm really excited because we are starting a new series in the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Um, let me let me say a couple of things about this series. Um, I'm not going to go fast. Um, that doesn't mean I'm going to preach long. Y'all scared to say something. Some of you want to say, amen. Uh, um, I'm not going to preach long sermons, but I'm not going to be in a hurry. You know, the, the whole Bible is inspired. The whole Bible is precious. It's the word of the living God. But there's something, I think, really unique about the book of Romans. It is the Apostle Paul's sort of um, opus about the gospel that we celebrate. And there's a lot here. Um, we're going we're gonna to take it one step at a time. Um, if you expect to have every sermon that you hear get tied off in a neat little bow and you kind of go home with, uh, you know, no questions or no tension, uh, then this series will not be for you uh, because we're going to, there are going to be weeks that we go home with questions, okay? We're not going to, Romans is not a one verse a day devotional book. There are big bites and big chunks and big ideas. Uh, Paul really unpacks the gospel for us. And there are going to be times where we're going to be left going, okay, well, what does that mean? How, what do I do with that? And, and here's what I want you to know and understand. That's okay. If you never have questions or you never have tension, I would venture to say you're really not wrestling with Scripture. You're not really diving in and endeavoring to understand this relationship with Jesus thing uh, in a very intentional way. So we're going to have some weeks where we leave with questions. You might even leave with some today, but that's okay. We're going to walk through it one step at a time. Okay, sound good? All right, Romans chapter 1. We're going to take the first seven verses today. Here's how Paul opens. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Paul didn't know where to put a period, does he? Including you who are called to belong to Christ, Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He who has ears to hear the word of the Lord, let them hear. Everyone said amen. So when you meet someone for the first time, how do you introduce yourself? You know, I, I know that, that most of the time happens casually. We meet someone, we tell them our name, we tell them a little bit maybe about where we're from, what our, where we're at in our career or in school, uh, and we might, if the conversation gets a little bit deeper, we might go into like our family status, our marital status, maybe even our faith. 
Here's the question I want to ask is, if, if you have someone who's interested in you, and the conversation is going beyond just sort of a casual introduction, where do you root your identity? How do you answer the question someone may ask you, who are you? Tell me about you. I want to know some things about you. What's at the core of you? How do you answer that question? How would you answer that question? I realize in most of our settings, things don't generally go that deep. But sometimes when we begin a new relationship or friendship, we actually endeavor to spend time with people, sit down with them around the table. We start to share a little bit about who we are. And my question is, do we root those of us who call ourselves Christians who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, do we root our identity in that relationship? Do we refer to ourselves as being owned? I'm yours. We just sang about it, didn't we? I'm yours. The praise is yours. It all revolves around you. Do we refer to ourselves as being owned, bought, I don't belong to me anymore. If you want to know me, if you want to know some things about me, if you want to get to the core of me, the bottom of me, here's what you need to know. I'm not my own. Is that how you think? And here's what I know. That seems a little bit strange to us. That's not normal to talk that way, is it? I mean, it's, it's kind of a radical thing. You might even look at somebody, even though you're, you're, in Christ, you're a Christian, maybe you even grew up in church and someone answered you back that way, look, I'm owned by Jesus. You might kind of look at them like, oh, wow, okay. Rock on, man. It seems a little strange. But here's another question. As Christians, are we normal <laughs> Some of you are looking at your spouse going, nope, you're not. Are we regular? Are we ordinary? Are we like other people? Are we just like everybody else or is something different going on? I love the introductions to Paul's letters. I love it. I love it when we study through Colossians because this, Paul is not giving instructions. He's not giving commands. He's not making huge doctrinal statements here. He's not trying to give a dissertation on the entire gospel in the first seven verses. We're going to get to that through this whole book. He's just bleeding. You prick Paul and you ask him, who are you? This is what he bleeds. And I see three things he bleeds. He bleeds how he sees himself. That's number one, okay? This is the map of where we're going. He bleeds how he sees himself. Number two, he bleeds how he sees the gospel. And number three, he bleeds how he sees the people he's writing to, namely the Christians in Rome. That's what he bleeds. So let's take those one at a time. How does Paul see himself? Verse one again, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So here's where he starts. My name is Paul. And we know who he is, right? We studied through the book of Acts. We know who this guy Paul is. We know that he was a Jewish Pharisee, a Christian persecuting thug, who was radically converted on the Damascus Road became the most celebrated missionary in Christian history, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and had, though he suffered 
incredibly, he had a very fruitful ministry enterprise throughout the rest of his life. This is who Paul is. We know Paul, right? Paul is actually his Greek name. He was, his Jewish name is Saul. His Greek name is Paul. He was born with a Jewish citizenship and a Roman citizenship, and it was not uncommon for Jewish parents to give their children both a Greek name and a Jewish name. When he was converted, Jesus called him to be a missionary to who? The Gentiles. I wonder if that's the path Paul would have chosen. I think, this is just my opinion, okay? You can disagree if you want. You've been wrong before. I think if Paul had his druthers, he would have been a missionary to the Jews. Because every city he went to just about, he first went into the Jewish synagogue and tried to reason with the Jews. And you know what they did? They reviled him, they persecuted him, and they rejected him, and then a whole host of Gentiles would get saved. Right, So that, that's the story of Paul. I don't know if he would have chosen this path for himself, but that's where he ended up. Have you ever been in a place where the life you have is not the one you would have picked? Right, like If, if you had your druthers, if you had your ideal, you might would have chosen things differently. You might would have picked a different career. God forbid you would have picked a different spouse, maybe different children. Okay? Sometimes we find ourselves in a place where this is not the life I would have chosen. But this is where Paul, Paul says, look, this is me, I'm Paul. He's kind of pointing, not explicitly, but implicitly to his calling to the Gentiles. And I don't think that's the life he would have chosen. But here's what's true of Paul. Here's the next statement. He says, I am a slave of Christ Jesus. Now, if you have an ESV Bible, which we put on the screen and I read from, it says servant, and that's weak. The word is doulos. You might have a translation that says bond servant. That's a little better, but it actually means slave. And don't dumb that down. That's not a metaphor for Paul. Just like me and just like you, he was born a slave to sin, but by rebirth... He's born a slave to Christ. Paul is owned. Let that sink in. He's owned and he's ruled. His will has been swallowed up by the will of Christ. That's why I don't think that he despised his calling to the Gentiles. He embraced it because he got this notion right here. I don't own myself. I'm owned. I'm ruled. I've been bought. I'm a slave to Christ Jesus. Galatians 1.10, Paul says, Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. Paul's whole life is now about what pleases Jesus, not himself. Then he says this. He says, I'm a called apostle. The verb to be is actually not in the Greek text. Because it sounds like that's something Paul's aspiring to, like he's aspiring to be an apostle, but that's not really how it reads. In the Greek, it's just called apostle. He is not only bought, owned, ruled, he's called, and that calling has an effect. He's an apostle. He's an ambassador of Christ Jesus. And his readers would have picked up on this 
because it was not uncommon in Paul's day for someone to be selected to be an ambassador of the Roman emperor, to be his spokesperson who consequently he projected himself as a god. But this is not ordinary. Paul's kind of letting these Romans know, look, I'm not a called ambassador of some mere human. I'm a called apostle of the one true and living God. So Paul is bought, owned, ruled, called, and then he says this, I'm set apart for the gospel of God. Galatians 1.15, he says he was set apart from his mother's womb. So God didn't go around looking for someone to fill this apostolic role. He's been preparing Paul for this before he was born. And that's pretty astonishing when you think about the road from his natural birth to his conversion at the Damascus Road, how he persecuted the church, how he, there, he was there and gave approval to the first martyr of the church in Acts, Stephen. Paul's been set apart for the gospel of God. This is who he is. This is not an ordinary thing. His servitude is to Christ Jesus. He's bought, he's owned, he's ruled, he's called, and he's set apart. Does that sound normal? Does that sound common? Does that sound regular? How many of you are uh, fans of the movie, the Rocky series? Raise your hand. What's wrong with you people? It's like some of the greatest movies ever. There's a scene that I love. I think it's in the fourth movie. When he, the one where he fights the Russian, you know what I'm talking about? No, y'all don't because y'all don't watch Rocky. But anyway, so Rocky's having a conversation with his friend Apollo Creed. And both of them are, in the movie, exceptional athletes. Both of them heavyweight champions of the world, but they're aging. And Apollo still wants to fight. And Rocky looks at him and he says, Apollo, you've got to understand something. We're changing. And he says this, we're becoming like regular people. (laughs) And that's the way of it, isn't it? Most of us live our lives like regular people. And you do find the occasional exceptional athlete or artist or world leader who seems to be non-regular, but even as those people age, they become more and more normal, regular. That's the way of it. But this is not Paul. Paul, listen, Paul sees his life as extraordinary. And he's not an egomaniac. He's not being prideful because this is not about what Paul has done. To become extraordinary, this is about what has been done to him that's made him extraordinary. Something's happened to him. This is not the mere work of a man. This is the work of God in and through and around Paul. Paul has become something that he never aspired to be. Paul has been found, bought, owned, ruled, called, and set apart. Is that what you bleed? This is what Paul bleeds. That's how he sees himself. So how does he see the gospel? Verse 2. Here's how Paul sees the gospel. 
So he says, I've been set apart for the gospel of God, verse 2, which he promised, talking about God, beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So here's the first thing Paul believes about the gospel. It's plan A. And I know we've talked about that a lot at Res. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but here's what Paul bleeds about the gospel first, is that it's plan A. Redemptive history is not a series of reactive moves by God. God never says, oh, that caught me off guard. I didn't see that coming. Okay? Jesus was not a new idea. Okay? That's why Paul says, promised beforehand, by his, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This is not, the gospel is not some newfangled idea that Paul has come up with. Nor is it a new direction that God has taken. It's been the plan from the get-go. So the first thing Paul bleeds is that the gospel's plan A. Here's the second thing. Verse 3. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's the second thing Paul bleeds about the gospel. It's all about Jesus. We have a core value at Resurrection Church. It's our first core value, and it simply says it's all about Jesus. The most important reality in the universe is a person, and his name is Jesus who was descended from David. I love this because, think about this with me. Descended from David, declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection, according to the spirit of holiness. Do you know what Paul just said in just a few words? He just bled incarnation, resurrection, and Trinitarian thought about the gospel. Descended from David, he was fully God and fully man. Born from David's line, would sit on David's throne. He is the one through whom God would fulfill the promise to David, I'm going to establish your throne forever. That's what Paul's saying. Declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection. In other words, Jesus didn't become the Son when he was raised. The resurrection simply declared him to be who he already was. With me? According to the spirit of holiness. How was Christ raised? The same spirit that lives in us, the Bible says, is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Christ was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. You ask Paul about the gospel, here's what he's going to bleed. He's not giving a dissertation, but here's what he's going to bleed. He's going to bleed that it's plan A and that it's all about Jesus. And here's the last thing, verse 5. Declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection, Jesus Christ our Lord, verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. So, the gospel's plan A, it's all about Jesus, and the gospel offers grace. Everybody say grace. It's one of the most misunderstood aspects of the gospel, I think. What is grace? I want to read you a story. It's a very short story. But in Cancun, 
this past week, our team was in Cancun serving, which was a fantastic trip, by the way. The Lord did some amazing things. And we're going to share with you about that in more detail in the weeks ahead. But part of our trip, Back to Back, gives us a devotional that we do every morning. Uh, we have small group time. And this was a story that was recorded in one of our devotionals one morning. I just want to read it to you. It's written by one of the missionaries that lives on site in Cancun that we served with. Her name is Jen. And this is a story she writes about herself and her family. She said, It was bedtime, and my adopted little brother did not want to fall asleep. We sat in the family room as he screamed his objections from his crib. Any parents can identify with that. I'm not tired. I don't want to go to sleep. Then for a moment, it was quiet. I looked down the hall to find him standing there, eyebrows furrowed in three-year-old defiance. The little boy had climbed out of his crib and stood in rebellion, daring us to react. He had made a bad choice and certainly anticipated the consequences. Now put yourself as a parent in this lady's shoes. She's a sister, big sister, but here's a defiant little three-year-old daring you to punish him. Watch what she does. She says, but mercy and grace catch us by surprise as we wait what we deserve. She said, I scooped him up, walking towards his room. I held him close, wrapping him in his calm-down blanket. His heart was racing. I squeezed him tighter, swaying back and forth. And as he rested his tiny head on my shoulder, I felt his body relax in my arms. And I whispered to him, Avi, this is grace. He gently lifted his head and looked in my eyes. What's grace? He asked. I answered, it's when you get something way better than what you deserve. I'm holding you now even though you weren't making good choices because I love you so much. Jesus gives us grace too. When he died on the cross, he gave you something far better than you could ever deserve, holding you even when you make bad choices. And he answered, oh, and snuggled in. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is when you get far better than what you deserve. And that's what makes grace so powerful is when God gives us not what we deserve, but something far better than what we deserve, it has a powerful effect. And that's why Paul says, he says, through whom, through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship. Paul realizes that it is grace, God's unmerited favor, that has made him an apostle. And not only that, grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. What does that mean? Here's what I think it means. Is it means that when God gives us grace, it produces faith. When God grants us unmerited favor, our response to that is total abandonment and trust and confidence in Him. That's why we lift our hands and we sing, there's no other name but yours. There's no more powerful name. We have totally abandoned, I am yours. That is a response of grace. And when grace produces faith, guess what? It gives rise to obedience. 
God is not trying to get you to obey him by holding rules over your head and my head. It's not what he's after. What he's after is faith that produces obedience and that only comes by you and I not just getting, not getting what we deserve, but getting something far greater than what we deserve. So what does Paul bleed about the gospel? It's plan A. It's all about Jesus, and it offers grace. And that's what gave rise to Paul being bought, owned, ruled, called, and set apart. You with me? Now, how does he see the Romans that he's writing to? Verse 6. Including you. You ought to shout when you read those two words. Including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize what he just said? All this being bought, owned, ruled, set apart, experiencing the gospel that's plan A, that is all about Jesus and offers grace. Romans, you're included in that. That's your story. No, he's not saying that they're called to be an apostle like him, but he does say in verse 6, you're called to belong to Christ. You're not your own anymore either. Verse 7, you are loved by God. Literally, you are God's loved ones. And they are called saints. The verb to be is not there in the Greek either in this case. So just like called apostle, they are called saints. Paul is not regular people. And neither are the Romans. Now here's the question. Are you regular people? Are you normal? Are you like everybody? Or something different? Track with me on this. The kingdom of God is not democratic. Now, I would say a democracy is probably the best way for humans to govern humans. Government of the people, by the people, for the people, I'm all for it when it comes to human government. Okay, But in a democracy, human rights and privileges and merit are the center of the universe. You understand that? Right? We elect officials based on how we perceive our own rights. Am I right? Guess what? In the kingdom of God, God is the center of the universe. You gotta get this. You gotta get this. Before a holy God, we as sinful, rebellious people have no rights. He could condemn every last one of us, and he would be perfectly just. 
No one could question him. No one could say, God, that's not fair. Who are you to to question God in that way? God, that's not fair. That's why, listen, all divine condemnation would be just. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Every divine salvation is an act of grace. And you know what's killing our gratitude? You know what's killing our sense of awe and wonder? Is we think grace is normal. We think being bought, owned, called, set apart is regular. As if God does that for anyone, He must do it for everyone. Keep reading the book of Romans. We'll get there, Romans 9.15. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. See, that rattles our cage a little bit. But here's what I'm telling you. Is that if you see your relationship with Christ and God offering you His grace as normal... As though that's just regular. You'll never have that sense of awe and wonder that you're meant to have when when your praise team stands up here and leads you in a song that says, I am yours. I belong to you. That's radical. That's, that's, That's uncommon. We're not normal. We're not regular people. The notion that God operates off some standard of fairness based on human worth has led us to treat the gospel with a level of familiarity and complacency that is toxic to our souls. Paul's not normal. The gospel is not commonplace. It's power. Such power that it takes rebellious, sinful, disobedient humans and turns them into bought, owned, called, set apart, loved by God, transformed by grace that produces faith that gives rise to obedience, saints. I don't know if I could say that all again. That's what Paul says. Paul's not, he's not trying to level doctrine at us in these first seven verses. He's just relishing that he is who Christ says he is. And he's relishing the gospel that makes that a reality. And he's saying to the Romans, You are who he says you are too. That you're chosen. You're called. You're not forsaken. You are who he says you are. Now, I say we're going to have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. But I promise you, if we will just live in this text and relish the beauty of what the Spirit inspired Paul to write in this book, I think we're going to experience what Paul will write about in chapter 12 of this epistle, a 
transformation that comes by the renewing of our minds. So as the praise team comes, just for today, just for today, here's what I want us to get. If you have abandoned yourself in faith to God in Christ, here's what's true of you, and this is what you should bleed when you're asked the question, who are you? It's at the bottom of you. Here's what's true of all of us who call on his name. We are slaves of Christ Jesus. And I know that word can be offensive. I know that word rattles our cages. But there's no other word on earth that could adequately describe this kind of relationship where we have been bought with a price. We're not our own anymore. And if you don't have the life that you dreamed of or that you said you wanted, here's what I can confidently say to you. You're right where he wants you to be. Some of you need to get a hold of that. You're right where he wants you to be. And I, I can tell you, there's a joy on the other side. You can spend the rest of your life hating your life. Or you can come to a place where you celebrate the fact, I'm owned. I'm owned by the one who emptied himself and gave himself up for me. I'm a slave of Christ. My will has been swallowed up in his will. You're a called saint. Oh, it's so powerful. You're a called saint. You've been set apart for him and for his gospel. He's called you to himself. He didn't have to. In fact, if you laid it out on paper, he shouldn't have. But he did. He gave you grace. He picked you up in his arms when you deserved a spanking, to put it mildly. You're called saint. You've been chosen. And you're loved by God. You know, when, when I lay my kids down at night to bed and we pray, just about every night, there are probably little to no nights that go by that we don't pray this. God, thank you for loving us. I know that sounds simple, but to be loved by God, it's not common. It's not ordinary. Oh, to be loved by Him. Only by grace. He loves you. Paul isn't his own. He's not normal. And neither are the Romans. And neither are we. So here's what I want us to do is I want us to celebrate that. Bradley, what about the ones who don't know? We're going to get there. What about the ones who haven't heard? It's coming. 
But I'm going to tell you this. Every ounce of effective evangelism that we might engage in has to begin with this overwhelming joy. I'm chosen. I'm not forsaken. I belong to Him. And there is nothing cheap or ordinary about that. So let's stand and we're going to celebrate it. Lord, I I desperately pray for myself and for this people that you would awaken us to the beauty, to the awe, to the wonder that we've been chosen, that we are who you say we are. And I ask this in your matchless name. Amen. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.